Uh, today, uh, I'm going to start looking at the book of Colossians, and, uh, and we're actually going to work through this every Friday for the next uh, few months. It's only four chapters, but it actually is, um, well, it has quite uh, a bit packed into it, and so uh, we're going to take our time running through it, and today we'll, we'll start with the introduction uh, found at the beginning of chapter 1, verse 1. It reads this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of tr the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. End of reading. Uh, so what, uh, what makes for a good church? Uh, if you were to ask that to the average American church attendee today, you'd most likely get a whole slew of answers to that question. Uh, a good number would probably say that a good church has to have a really uh, an amazing worship band. Uh, young parents might say you got to have strong kids ministries or at least kids' ministries where I drop my baby off and I'm not afraid that they're going to eat a toy made out of lead. Uh, <laughs> most would say you need a decent preacher, or maybe some would say you need an amazing preacher. And, of course, the atmosphere of the church needs to be friendly and welcoming, and, and I mean, the, the list could go on and on. And, listen, these are all good things. Uh, even, even a rock and worship band, all that stuff is good, or it can be good. Um, but... As I look throughout the New Testament to see what really gets the apostles all amped about a church, it's really none of those things that I just mentioned in particular. Uh, as a matter of fact, the churches probably had very little to no instrumentation during their singing in the early days of the church. Uh, the kids' ministries consisted of sitting next to mom and dad. Uh, the preacher wasn't always very impressive rhetorically. Um, Paul even talks about that himself. Sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. Um, the atmosphere of the early church was, it may have been welcoming, but, but that didn't mean it was easy to join. It was actually pretty difficult and usually meant you were risking your life and limb uh, at the very beginning. And so instead of focusing on those things, the apostles thank God uh, for um, things that are much more simple, much more foundational, much less showy things, but I think much more important things. Now again, doesn't mean those other things are wrong or bad. They're just not nearly as important as we may think. And so for starters, what we see Paul thanking God for about the Colossian church is, quote, their faith in Christ Jesus. When Paul thinks of the Colossians in his prayers, he thanks God for working faith in them. Now that sounds incredibly simple, uh, but think about how profound that is for a second. The scriptures tell us that faith is not something we can work in it of ourselves, that it's a gift built up by word and sacrament, the gifts God has delivered to us. 
Paul thinks of this church and marvels at the miracle that they actually believe in Jesus. And you know, I just, I love that. I love the fact that that doesn't get old for Paul. That he sees it as a gift of God and goes, this is amazing. Isn't it amazing that you believe this? <laughs> uh, so so Paul doesn't, doesn't thank God for all sorts of other things that might come later, but he focuses on that. They believe the gospel, and that's awesome, and I thank God for it. And that faith then leads to the next thing that the apostle thanks God for at the very beginning of our text, and, and namely, that is their love for each other. So the faith that they have been given, that has been worked in them, has led, inevitably, to love for each other. Uh, Martin Luther said it this way, uh, Christianity can be summed up in the two terms, faith and love. And then he describes it this way, receiving from above, faith, and giving out below, love. Indeed, this passage expresses that thought beautifully. It is solely through faith in Jesus that we're saved, that the Colossians were saved. From this faith, love is then produced for those around them, especially those within the household of God. And so there's just a few little notes uh, that we can sort of extrapolate from this. Uh, first of all, we notice that love for one another ultimately comes uh, by faith in Jesus. Uh, in other words, the more one sees their need for the redemption brought by Jesus, the more they find themselves loving others. Why? Because the more one sees their need for Jesus, the more one sees the extent of their sin. The more one sees the extent of their sin, the more one sees their desperate need for grace. The more one sees their desperate need for grace, the more one can't help but be gracious to other sinners around them, including in the church. And so it's as Jesus says in Luke 7, verse 47, he who is forgiven much loves much. On the opposite end of the spectrum, one of the reasons a church may not be a very loving place is because it doesn't see how much it needs to be forgiven by Jesus. Uh, the most judgmental, difficult, and death-filled congregations have always been those places where people uh, begin to see themselves as sort of better than the average Christian or on a higher level, a more pious level. And they've sort of forgotten like what they were saved from, and so they walk around unable to stop themselves from uh, being quote-unquote fruit inspectors of fellow members of the body of Christ. And though they may not say it out loud, they look at those around them and make little judgments constantly. It's just constantly going on. Well, why are, why are they dressed like that? Uh, if they were really Christians, would they be driving such a nice car? It doesn't look very humble. Uh, if they were really worshiping, they'd raise their hands. I haven't seen them in church very often lately. I wonder if they still believe. And, and on and on it goes. I mean, it's just, it's constant how we can find ourselves uh, judging. And, and frankly, this, these kinds of things are all too common in my own wicked heart. When I forget how much I've been saved from, it can happen to any of us. Uh, but Paul says, no, no, no. Um, your faith, because you believe this message, um, that God saves sinners purely by, by his grace, you guys are showing this incredible love for, for one another. And so that leads to, uh, I think, the last thing that you see in the text that Paul thanks God for. There's, there's actually some, you, we could go a little deeper, but I just don't have time today. Uh, the last thing is Paul spells out the reason that they have such faith and love. Like, what, what spurs them on? 
And he ends up saying it's because of the hope that's laid up for them in heaven. Now, interesting little note. What are the things that he mentions in the very first few words of Colossians? Well, if you notice, there's three, there's three big words that are kind of the triad of Christianity. Faith, hope, and love. And now we're at the, we're at the hope. The way Paul uses the word here is to show that because they have this certainty of heaven awaiting them, awaiting them after this life, they therefore act out in faith toward Jesus and in love for one another. And this, this brings me to the last uh, sort of uh, question for you. And that is, is heaven, is the thought of heaven a motivating factor for you? Now, I'm not talking about earning heaven. Or being afraid if you don't say enough prayers that you won't get there. Remember, you get heaven because of Jesus. But I'm talking, does the thought of knowing you're going to heaven because you believe in Jesus, does that, does that motivate you? Because I, I think when we look back at the early church, that was huge for them. That was huge to know that this world was not their home. C.S. Lewis said this, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. And then here's the money line, Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Now, Lewis wrote that in response to the oft-heard critique of Christians that they're so heavenly-minded that they aren't any earthly good. And frankly, I think there can be some fairness to that critique that Christians can be so heavenly-minded that they aren't very any earthly good. But most of the time, I don't think that that's true. Um, as Lewis points out, it's, it's not usually because Christians are too heavenly-minded. Rather, it's the opposite. It's the opposite problem. Uh, so Christians, I think, either have a completely wrong conception of heaven, you know, sitting on clouds with fat babies, uh, shooting arrows, or they become so focused on fitting in this world that it's very easy to forget that this world is ultimately not our home. As Hebrews 11 points out about Abraham's walk of faith, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. The thought of heaven, a place with no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more trials, no more difficulties, no more mental illness, no more bad food, no more polluted air, a place where there is joy unspeakable in the presence of God's smiling, approving face over you, his child, a place where there will no longer be even a desire to sin. Oh, my Lord, I can't wait for that. But instead, only desire spurred on, uh, only a desire to be closeness or be, be close to God, which is what we are made for in the first place. That's what spurred on the early church to joyfully endure things like martyrs' deaths and mockery and shame with just joy that was unfathomable to their neighbor. So today, uh, let's feast our minds on the promise of heaven, uh, loving our neighbors with everything we got, Believing the gospel is true just as much today as it was yesterday, and it will be just as true tomorrow. Uh, singing joyfully in our hearts, yeah, it's okay. It's not too pious. This world is not our home, and that's good news. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.